outside the box. Hello and welcome to October's Outside the Box, October. How has this happened? And also, how do we say this every month? Why is time still confusing us? Yeah, who the fuck stole evenings? I know, I know. I'm like, just when... go dark till hot. Oh, it's dark already. Yeah. Like yeah. Thieves in the night. Thieves of, yeah. Of no, the night. No, but they've left the night. <laughs> Jen was correct. <laughs> I am joined by, as ever, Mickey. Well, hello there. Restrained, <laughs> restrained. Oh, I mean, obviously I listened to last month's, guys, and I, here's me thinking every month you're like, oh, well, I'm excited for Mickey's chippy hello, and apparently not, so, uh, you know, took notes. Jen, would you like to occupy that, that ground that Mickey's made available? I'm good, actually. Hi, guys. <laughs> you're right. So, we've got some stuff to talk about, as ever. Maybe not as much stuff as we could have, because there is an enormous amount of things on telly at the minute but we've started to go back to our ordinary lives a bit so maybe not as much you'll be able to tell by who does the talking who's gone back to their ordinary life slightly more and who is still going no nah, i don't like it out there i'm gonna stay inside thanks very much it's you isn't it hannah it's you <laughs> gonna it say is. it sounded quite a lot like you hannah. <laughs> i do go out i do go out yeah but i'm always pleased to be home again i'm not scared Sorry, sorry, that was so she protests just to be too clear. much. I think I'm not scared. Clear, I, no, 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 no. I'm not scared of it. I just, I, I don't like it. So, let's start with a couple of comedies, shall we? Or actually, should we just start with getting a little bit excited about the fact that you know what we're going to talk, be talking about in next month's <gasps> outside the box? I'm very excited. Is it the twenty second? It starts. No, it oh, starts on the seventeenth. Mm. I spoke to my friend Paul, who I do my podcast with, podcast plug, this morning, and he's been sent seven episodes. And I went, why haven't I been sent seven episodes? And then I thought, I haven't got time to basically take a day out of my life and have no self-control and mainline seven episodes of succession in one go. Question before we, I don't know, before you have to go and change your pants, maybe, I'm not sure. But have you rewatched? series one and two because obviously i know jen has literally just got them in the back you've just watched them you're a newcomer welcome mm. you had a lovely time uh, but have you rewatched yeah. them hannah i did rewatch series two over the summer because i was impatient uh, by that point i was like oh, come on okay if i can't watch series three yet because it's been a long time a it long has time. been a long time how long has it been two years maybe years, I think. oh that is a long time yeah well, Hashtag you know, pandemic, time. obviously. Oh, of course. Mm. Oh my God, Jen, yeah. did you genuinely forget about the pandemic for a moment then? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think I did. That was like a little flash forward to the future that all of us might have at some point. I think it's worth re-watching again just, just for that look at the end of the... Just that little it's look. Good. So subtle, you don't even know if it was there or not. Very even good. the posters yeah. are excellent for the third series. Yeah. So good. They are quite confusing and overwhelming in a way. Confusing? Well, not confusing. I mean, I understand the premise of them. Right. But like, yeah. No, they're a bit like, they're a bit overwhelming. There's a lot of uh, different things to think about. I guess because of that two year gap. And whilst we are nerdy about television, not looking at anyone in particular out the three of us, Dunleavy at all. But while we are all fairly nerdy about TV, so you might go, oh, I love this. I'm going to rewatch it. A lot of people won't. They'll just have waited. So I guess what the posters are doing are reminding you of all the tensions that were there in Mm. series two. I think they're a giant like TV 
cock tease. Might be that too. Both. I mean, as if anyone could forget Jerry and Roman, but there you have it. So, I'm going to talk about three comedy things that I'm the only person that's watched all of them, so I'll get them out of the way. Two opportunities to talk about Tina Fey this month, which is always welcomed. I'm going to start with Mr. Mayor, which is on Sky, her comedy with longtime co-writer, collaborator Robert Carlock, starring Ted Danson as a businessman who is elected mayor of L.A. I mean... Donald Trump is an example that it doesn't even need a backstory to that, but it does come with a backstory, which is that the existing mayor has stood down because 2020 has been too overwhelming for him. So, you know, fair enough. California also does tend to have quite wild politics. It has lots, I mean, it's just had a recall. So it's all quite sort of believable in in that sense, not that Tina Fey stuff needs to be believable. But it also begs the question of, Okay, you're going to satirise this thing that seems to be satire itself. Mm -hmm. So that I saw as a problem before I started. Also, it's a political comedy and political comedies have a pretty high bar, or they do in my opinion. Yes, Minister, Veep, even Parks and Rec, which is like local politics. Yeah, Um, And, you know, you've got to mention the thick of it as well. Absolutely. And this in no way has any of the sort of sharp bang, 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 banter that comes with those things. However, it is quite likeable. Have I said Ted Danson's in it Yes, yet? you did. I'm enjoying did. the return okay. of Ted Danson. <laughs> the return of Ted Danson started with a, a rather brilliant but quickly cancelled series with Jason Schwartzman. Schwartzman was a private detective. I can't remember what it's called now. And Ted Danson was his boss, who was an absolute stoner, and it was really funny. Anyway... It also has Holly Hunter in it. So, you know, round of applause for that. Holly Hunter plays a real knee-jerk Democrat who basically objects to everything that he does, even if what he's doing is seemingly a good thing. In the pilot, he says he's going to ban plastic straws, and she finds many elaborate ways to say that plastic straws are a good thing, even though, like, it should be a policy she would support. Uh-huh. So I think Tina Fey's having a dig at what's going on in American politics at the moment. Bobby Moynihan from Saturday Night Live is excellent. Yeah, I think if you ask me if the first series of of any comedy series that I liked was brilliant, I would say no. You know, not even the fir- first series of 30 Rock is so-so. First series of The American Office is mm. First series of Parks and Rec is like, uh. So I think it has potential. I wouldn't say it's brilliant now, but I think it has potential. Interesting. I've seen it all over billboards. I've seen adverts for it. And he looks very like he looks in The Good Place in the poster. Yeah. Ted Danson. He's got massive 80s face and also a massive face. He does have both those things, Jen. Well observed. I did try to rewatch Cheers as well. You know, nostalgia. I was like, oh, and it's oh, it's it's very sexist. <laughs> it's still quite funny in places, but uh, the sexism sort of overwhelmed me. Maybe because it's a bit of a busman's holiday for me, bus woman's holiday, bus driver's holiday for me to go yeah. and watch something that's quite sexist. I just keep going oh at the television, but uh, still really like Ted Danson. Charismatic actor. Charismatic 80s faced. <laughs> Massive 80s face. (laughs) Okay, so let's move on to another comedy with charismatic, white-haired 80s face. Is it massive? Sorry. (laughs) Well, it did once have a massive nose on it. It's true, that is true. It kind of does fill most of the criteria. Steve Martin, who with John Hoffman has written a new comedy called Only Murders in the Building. It's a 10-part, half-an-hour series 
currently only available over here on Disney. A friend of mine recommended that I watch it. Thank you, Karen. It is, in fact, really, really good. Starring Steve Martin himself, obviously, Martin Shaw, which we can get Aww. onto, and Selena Gomez, who I had never actually seen a piece of art that she had been involved with or no. heard a song. I knew she existed, but I couldn't tell you anything about her. This is a Selena Gomez first for me. As three people who live in a very fancy building in New York and there is a murder that takes place in the building and they decide to start a podcast about it. And it is absolutely delightful and really funny. It has that obvious sort of feel that's, that sort of comes with Steve Martin and, and Martin Short. But Martin Short is actually playing it quite small, which is really enjoyable because you know that when he builds up to it, he's going to just erupt and it's going to be brilliant. It's got some other like good people in it. Nathan Lane, obviously. I just say obviously because he just feels like you, exactly yeah, the course. person you would find in this. Also, Amy Ryan and Tina Fey doing a spoof of Sarah Koning of serial fame as a sort of well-established true crime podcast host and comes with all of the smugness I would associate with Sarah Koning. Uh, I don't think anyone will be surprised to anyone that I absolutely hated serial. Did you? Yeah, absolutely hated it. It's interesting because you get this sort of culture clash of this woman in her 20s who's now hanging around with two guys in their 70s. And they do that stuff quite well, the sort of culture clash and the technology clash and all of that stuff. But actually, Steve Martin clearly understands true crime podcasts because it's actually kind of structured as a series like a true crime podcast, as in it zips around in time and then it leaves these false cliffhangers at the end of episodes and it mentions things that are never dealt with again and it only ever puts one side of the story anyway i think it's really good a hard recommend from me if you get disney obviously if you don't i don't know where you're gonna find it just need to ask jen do you know who nathan lane is i feel like i know the name but no I, he's, I don't. he's the meerkat in the lion king <laughs> That's pretty much all you need to know. There you go. I knew you'd recognise that. <laughs> As in Timon. I Is that what he's called? called? Yeah. yeah you must have seen the birdcage as well, though. I knew, like, Jen's probably seen the birdcage, but she's definitely yeah. seen the Lion King. I have. I don't think I have seen the birdcage, but I don't. Oh, really? It's good. It's good. Maybe we should put it on a Robin, raise. Or Robin Williams is in that as well, isn't he? Robin Williams and Hank Azaria. <laughs> Hank Azaria. Uh, as a man who can't wear shoes. <laughs> if, he, if he puts shoes on, he falls over. Which is the stupidest joke in the world, but it's <laughs> hilarious. Anywho, moving on. We were talking about Martin Short the other day, Mickey and I, because we've been watching this. And I said, Martin Short is just, to me, it's like, it's like actively being tickled. Because some of why I'm laughing is panic. Some of why I'm laughing is I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm a bit scared. I don't know where this is going. It's just his Um, eyes. (laughs) That whole face just, it's just, yeah, his eyes. He's got massive face in a different way to Ted Danson, Jen. But it is still that, like, everything's going on at once. I'm like, I don't know how to feel. (laughs) (laughs) Who who is this man? Uh, Have you ever seen The Three Amigos? Yes. He's Martin Short. Yeah. So that's There's Steve the one... Martin, Martin Shaw, and oh, who's the other amigo, Hannah? Uh, Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase. Okay, so it is. It's like the little one. Short. As it Martin were. Short. Yeah. Martin Short, of whom the word "screamer" seems appropriate. <laughs> weirdly, yeah. as soon as I watched it, I had to go onto YouTube and watch every single second of when he's in Arrested Development because it's just hilarious. Oh, he's so good. I am going to watch that. Have you watched Arrested Development? 
I have. No. Yeah, oh, I have. Yeah, yeah. I know you had. No. Uh, you haven't. He plays this guy who can't walk, so he gets carried around by a giant. And it's just... Yeah. <laughs> and every so often he shouts, shake me. But then when he gets shook, he throws up. Uh, it's really funny. Quite big in the 80s, wasn't he? He was quite a prominent Very guy 80s. in yeah. 80s films of that kind of... Incidentally, this is nothing to do with anything we're talking about, really, but there is a house that you drive past on the way up the hill into Harwich because it's one road in, one road out, guys, which is called Chevy Chase, which always makes me laugh. <laughs> Someone's actually named the house that. Do you have to run lot, up it? <laughs> a lot of respect for that. <laughs> so something else that I talked about in the last episode of Outside the Box, but I was reluctant to form a strong opinion on because I'd only seen one of what turned out to be six episodes is White Lotus and I have actually finished it now and I wanted to say I think it's really, really good. Written and directed by Mike White. Now, he's the sort of person that I cannot explain to you who he is. Google him and you will go, oh yeah, he's from that thing and it might be one of many things. But, you know, long-standing comedy writer, started off actually or one of his first jobs was on freaks and geeks and that will become relevant in a bit so yes to recap what i said last time it's six part hbo series about a holiday resort for mega rich people and it's about the culture clash between these incredibly wealthy people and the people who work at the hotel and sort of how they interact and it follows a a few couples or a few groups of holidaymakers around, one of which is a couple played by Steve Zahn and Connie Britton, What's Not to Like. Then there's a newly married couple and there is a very wealthy single older woman who's there by herself. And, I mean, who would you get to play that if you had to pick, Mickey? Well, I I know the answer, but I think they've absolutely got it bang on and that is Jennifer Coolidge. (laughs) Jennifer Coolidge absolutely owns this, like, whole series. She's fucking amazing in it. Sorry, Jen, just for some... You're I looking know who like, that is. I know the name, but who is it? No, Stif- I know it is. It's Stifler's mom, mom, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of that. The what I think the one of the only things that ever really made me laugh with Gavin and Stacey is when they called Philip Seymour Hoffman, that <laughs> strawberry Adams. blonde one from Patch Adams. <laughs> yeah, Stifler's mom for Jennifer When Coolidge she's is, like oh. brilliant in all of the Christopher Guest movies, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, yeah why I think this series works. It doesn't just paint these people to be absolutely foul and repulsive. It does show that they are also human beings, but they are human beings who do really foul and repulsive things because they're mega rich. And Jennifer Coolidge, I think more than anyone, does the most to humanise them. There's just an incredible scene where she's talking to somebody who is not a counsellor, but she's treating like a counsellor because she can't get an appointment with a counsellor. And she's talking about meeting someone new the person says to her do you not like the sort of the peeling of the onion and she said the problem with the peeling of the onion is you know when you get to the middle you realize there's just a depressed alcoholic (laughs) (laughs) and then she gets really animated and starts saying why why can't i just cut to the crazy and let the chips fall where they may yeah she's incredible there's also some really good stuff between connie brett and steve zan and their kids who are obviously really spoiled like 15, 16-year-olds, but also, you know, very woke and keen to lecture their parents on stuff. And they do that culture clash really well because I think anybody could watch it and come away with a different opinion about what the answer into that scenario is. So it shows that they argue both cases, like, really well. Mm -hmm. The idea that these kids are brats, but also the idea that their parents are, you know, part of the problem. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really, really good. 
So I did mention that he'd worked on Freaks and Geeks. And one of the things I think is most laudable about Freaks and Geeks is that it gets a bit of extra time because it's it was 45 minutes rather than a half-hour show. And mm-hmm. with that little bit of extra time, it chose not to ram in more jokes, but chose to sort of put in some quite character work. Yeah. You spent yeah. a lot of time with the characters by themselves. And that's something that Mike Watt has brought with him to White Lotus. Because this is an hour long, but it's essentially a comedy. So it's absolutely full of fucking gorgeous gorgeous shots of where they are in Hawaii it's amazing it's really well done for that stuff it really made me want to go on holiday really made me want to go on holiday cool White Lotus also on Sky sorry um, bit niche stuff well not niche not always easy to get stuff we're recommending but there we are so two new documentaries out at the moment about Britney Spears I haven't watched either of them have either of you managed to watch either of them? The t- no. The two Sorry. new ones are Britney versus Spears on Netflix and there's one on Sky and I don't know the name of that one because I watched 10 minutes of Britney versus Spears and I felt so complicit in the exploitation of this woman that I stopped. And I think that's where I'm at on documentaries about Britney Spears. She has publicly asked that people stop making them. And so, you know, mm. I'm going to stop watching them. Is that the Netflix one, Mick? Yeah, that's the Netflix one. Yeah. Yeah, so I watched one a while ago. I think there were two earlier on in the year. There was one which I think was a... Oh, I can't remember who made it in the States, but it was on Sky Documentaries over here uh, called Framing Britney Spears. That was the and New was... York Times one. Yeah, and then there was one on the BBC as well. And I actually... I feel like I watched both of them, actually. Which well, is there is of... a new one on Sky as well, and and now I come to think of it, I thought that one was called Spears versus Spears or something. So I, I don't even know what the name is of that one. So apologies, um, but there is currently a new one on Sky at the moment. But yeah, there's like at least four doing the rounds, yeah. and Channel Five. Come on, they must have they must have cobbled something together. I agree with Mick. Obviously, the situation has progressed since the first two. Jamie Spears has been basically told by a court that he can no longer be her conservator, right? And then, yeah, the, and then they're gonna, I believe, at a later date, ask that the whole conservatorship be dropped completely. I think that's what's happening at the moment. That's sort of like where they're trying to go with it. But that was really, really recent. Was that? I don't even know if that's covered oh, in the those. last week. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Really, really recent. And I just kind of think, like, what else is there to say? Like, do we need four documentaries about Britney Spears? It makes you wonder how quickly they're rushing them out. Exactly. So the the Netflix one, I do know this about it. It actually started. They started work on it two years ago, and it's Emily Carr and uh, another female journalist. Again, name escapes me because I just quit it so quickly. And she classes herself as a fan. There's a really telling line which I listened to pretty much just before I press stop when she says about the conservatorship and they were making it about her artistry and about the fact that she didn't have her freedom at the moment and obviously then this has shifted in the last two years but there's a line where she says she didn't have her freedom she just needed to get her life back so she could start performing for us again and I'm like who's the for us there right what about her and there's there's a weird lack of centering of Britney Spears in certainly the the bit of a documentary I watched about Britney Spears. And whilst I know documentaries bring in all sorts of sources, the fact that they're not using her words, which have come to the fore recently, 
really puts me off. I think the Britney Spears thing, I guess the original one, the framing Britney, the the New York Times one, as you said, Mick, it was sort of a thing that we didn't know that much about at the time. Yeah, so I right. suppose it had some value in that respect. Um, I think it opened it eyes to what she was yeah, living exactly. under. Yeah. And it also talked about some like interesting things about, for example, the way she was treated by the press when she was a teenager, the way she was sexualized so young, the way that this whole narrative was sort of created about what a what a slut she was for cheating on Justin Timberlake and and how is she called Diane Sawyer? The, the journalist... In Diane Sawyer is, a, is like a TV anchor. Yeah, yeah. who I think um, interviewed her after she broke up with Justin Timberlake and, you know, she'd been quizzed about her virginity and stuff like that. So inappropriate with so like a teenage girl. Like, mm. really, really not nice at all. So I think it did have some valuable things to say, but I do feel like we've said them all now. I think we can all agree mm. conservatorship bad. This country's equivalent is um, Charlotte Church. Yeah. Yeah, because the like the son had that that countdown to yeah. her losing her virginity, uh, being of no, age her, to yeah. yeah. She was always portrayed as like heavy drinker, bad mum, all yeah. of that stuff in the press. Yeah. yeah, and just to add to what Jen said, like that first documentary, I think if it did, like I didn't really know what conservatorships were, and obviously no. we talked about them on the podcast and stuff. So opening eyes to that, I think, is is important because Britney Spears is a very famous case of something that happens to predominantly women mm. in the states a lot of the time. But she reportedly and said after she watched that documentary framing Britney Spears, she cried for two weeks. She felt really invasive. She didn't understand why it was being made. And so for someone who then claims to be a fan to be one of another three documentaries about it just doesn't sit right, does it? Well, this kind of takes me to my point of what that I said earlier about why I really don't like cereal and why I really don't like Sarah Koenig, because it becomes about your desire to solve this thing or to change this thing where the fact that you are, potentially like completely ruining the lives of the families of the victims of the murder who is not centered in that story at Mm -hmm. all Mm. i find it really offensive it becomes about you not about the story it's using the exploitation for more exploitation i can totally see that with the with the britney spears thing about the exploitation it does seem sad like given that's the whole fucking point but yeah should we talk about something else that's sort of news angled, if that makes sense? Sure. Which is Jack Thorne's Help, which was on Channel 4, a one-off, hour-and-a-half-long drama. You must have seen some reviews of this. Everybody went a bit wild. It's got Stephen Graham and Jodie Comer in it, which sort of basically Justice. means, like, the the axis of Scouse-like well, the axis of Scouse Elite. is even bigger than that because it also has Ian Hart and Kathy Tyson there. Oh, oh wow! Hell. So it's it is Liverpool's finest, very much on show. In oh, this. my family in it as well. Oh, no, carry on. <laughs> it's about the scandal of what happened in in care homes during the early days of COVID. Um, and your sister works in a care home, doesn't she, Hannah? She did, yes. So it is a topic that I am sadly familiar mm, with. My cousin works um, in a, a care home in Liverpool as well. So, yeah. My sister and I had a couple of conversations during lockdown that I think probably, I'll probably never forget. They were totally traumatic. 
And where it shows that in this, it is absolutely like spectacularly good in the bits where it shows that. So Jodie Comer is a care worker. She works in a care home, a small private care home, which is being run by Ian Hart. And Stephen Graham plays a character, Tony, who has premature Alzheimer's and so is living in the care home, but the rest of the, the people there are predominantly pensioners. Sue Johnson plays one of the people in Just the care home. Just throw in a yeah. Sue Johnson yeah. halfway through well, talking no. about <laughs> something, Hannah, you scamp. Sorry. Basically, COVID happens. They don't have the PPE they need. The staff are having to isolate. They're getting people sent to them from hospital that are, you know, that they're trying to clear bed blocking. So all of the things that we all know went very wrong are on show here. And there's like a an extended scene in which Jodie Comer is on her own on a night shift because there's literally nobody else. And she can't get through to 111. And that's the whole way through this whole scene. You can hear her on hold to 111 in a mobile phone in her pocket. And... I think it does a really good job of of saying, okay, we can all go, oh my God, can you imagine being on your own in a care home? But then actually seeing it, and they really sort of force home that she keeps repeatedly having to go from room to room, and every time she goes from room to room, you see her, like, take this bit of kit off and then, like, do her hands, and then you can see all the lights turning on as she walks down the corridor. So it really sort of rams home the point that this is, you know, every single thing is being done possible to help these old people, but... It's just the facilities aren't there Mm -hmm. and the people aren't there to help them. So it does make you really angry. And Stephen Graham is amazing. And Stephen Graham does vulnerable better than most people alive, I would say. So that works really well. And they have a really good chemistry. And Ian Hart is incredible. Ian Hart is sympathetic and he isn't sympathetic. So there isn't like really clear goodies and baddies in this. Apart from, you know, the system, the government, the people that are failing them at the top. I think the families get a kind of a short shrift in this because from experience of talking to someone, actually one of the hardest things in this was telling people they couldn't come in to see their parents. And you don't actually see much of that in this. The last 15 minutes, I was not a fan of. It goes off the reservation a bit in the last 15 minutes. And up until that point, I was like, oh, I might actually be on board with Jack Thorne. But I think it goes a bit well, I was only entitled to, you know, it's a dramatisation, but I think there was enough drama and enough heroism in the first part of it that it didn't need the additional bit of drama and heroism in the second part of it. What I will say is I do have a question in general, and that is I'm not sure how representative Jodie Comer is of the demographic that works in care homes, to be honest. From my sister's experience, I would say it's middle-aged women, it's... You know, economic migrants from Eastern Europe are quite common, from the, like what my sister tells me. I do wonder whether it would have been made if it had been about a 50-year-old woman working in a care home rather than a young, glamorous young woman working in a care home. Interesting. But that's just a sort of open question. My, my cousin who works in a care home started working there in her early 20s and stayed there. And right. she's white, working class. Yeah, I'd say I knew a fair few people in Harwich who works in care homes, who were young, white and working class. But probably. I don't think that, like, what Jen but, and I have yeah. said doesn't undermine doesn't your mean point they're at wrong. all. Yeah, yeah, I'd like, probably not. There, there, there was obviously a choice there as to who mm. can be the Jodie Comer character. And I have to say, obviously, I've not watched it. So there might be some stuff that only she could do. 
but yeah the choice is it's interesting isn't it it's like will this make more people watch it and therefore be cross at the system and maybe it'll change the way they vote in the future then yeah and she is fantastic in it like absolutely fantastic but like i say it goes in this goes in this odd direction for like 15 minutes and then at the end it puts up all the stats how much ppe they had like they only had 10 percent of what was promised to them and you know how many people died in care homes and the, the statistics on things like that what the average wage for a care worker is and all of that and i think you kind of undermine the point that that is the point by adding this bit of invented drama at the end of it but Maybe that's just me. I still think it was really good and it was well worth watching and it's pretty traumatising. So I wonder if a two-part episode might have been better in, in terms of, of making it a bit easier to watch because you could have had a little a little breather from it and then like gone back to it. Does it does feel like this year and a half, nearly two years, that has left people really not at their most emotionally robust has led to, mm. understandably led to a lot of telly where you need to feel quite emotionally robust before you start watching yeah. it. It's a weird catch-22 for the goggle box. Absolutely. Wolf. Wolf. Oh, Mickey. I haven't got around to it. <laughs> I kind of half want to put my fingers in my ears at this stage because it's something that has definitely been on my radar. And Hannah said to me, Mickey, there's something that I think you really need to watch for the next hour. And I was like, is it Wolf? Because it's Paul Abbott and I'm already on board. And I just went to two gigs this week, guys. <laughs> just out of time. You are the Paul Abbott fan amongst the three of us, I think. You say that, and to an extent it is true, so I'm not arguing with you, but it is mainly based on the first two seasons, well, series as we used to call them back in the day, of Shameless, which I think verge on yes. genius. That is where my love of Paul Abbott comes from. Also thought Clocking Off was very good. But yeah, it's, yes. it's mainly the first two seasons of Shameless that make me just go, oh, I just want to wanna watch this. Yeah, because I liked No Offence, but I didn't. I don't think I liked it quite as much as... You guys did also did. really love No Offence, you're right. I'd forgotten. There's too much telly. I'd forgotten. Yeah. I really love No Offence. I thought that was very canny. It very much reminded me of the first two series of Shameless. <laughs> yeah. So, this isn't very much like the first two series of Shameless at all, but Jen and I have watched it. Or Jen has watched some of it. I have watched all of it. So, six episodes, hour long each, following Wolf, who is, that is his name, and he is a forensic scientist, you know, helping to solve crime from his lab whilst teaching people about science. I say he, lead character played by Babu Cisse, supported by a, like, a lot of women in this, mm. including Amanda Abington and Game of Thrones' Natalia Tenner. So, yeah, good cast. Really loves the grizzly, really yeah. loves the grizzly and the disgusting. We've yeah. got fatbergs, we've got exploding corpses. Jenny, are you okay? Yeah, I watched it while I was doing, um, if, you, if you've not listened to the uh, podcast yet this week, guys, uh, while I was doing some of my new knitting, which requires quite a lot of concentration. You kind of know when something really grim is going to happen, so I'd be like, yeah. I'll concentrate on my knitting for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> like an old lady at the guillotine. <laughs> Wolf, like all sort of detectives, he's not a detective, but do you know what I mean? Everyone involved in the solving of crime nowadays on TV has some mental health issues. He appears to be bipolar. Paul Abbott is himself bipolar, so I feel, you know, on fairly confident ground that this is in, to some degree accurate, even if it does on the surface appear to be a bit of 
a cliche when it comes to you know like all these great minds they've all got like their own problems etc etc I think it's kind of average. I think what makes it good is the fact that Babu Cisse is great. Like, genuinely, really, really great in it. For people who don't know him, he played uh, Richard Taylor in Damalola, Our Beloved Son. He also played, going back to Jack Thorne, in National Treasure. He played Robbie Coltrane's lawyer, who was an absolute fucking knob. So he is capable of playing very sympathetic an absolute fucking knob and he's playing them both simultaneously here which is actually great i think you'll probably like it mickey it's quite sort of irreverent and fun he does some stuff in it that makes me like what the fuck and i think that it's interesting because like i say paul abbott clearly knows what he's talking about if he is also bipolar i just without um without spoiling it for mick are you referring to his relationship with his estranged wife yeah, I mean, he breaks into a house. It's weird, isn't it? Like, he, he's yeah. definitely a bit, like, not okay. <laughs> yeah. For anyone listening, it's not okay. It's not okay. He doesn't seem to have a radar of what is okay, though. Yeah. And that's that's what I mean. And he's so, like, just just a vuncular Babu Cisse. I just think in anybody else's hands, this wouldn't have worked. I've never seen him in anything before. I've only seen him in, like, serious things before. I've never seen him do any sort of, like, comedy kind of character before. And this is a bit comic, isn't it? And I think he Mm. does it really well, and I think he's really charismatic, and he he does sort of carry it. And I I enjoyed it enough to watch three episodes of it, and I probably would watch more, but the the grossness is a a bit much for me. But with or without the knitting, just the thought of it isn't (laughs) that nice, to be honest, a lot of the time. Obviously, the listeners can't see this, but there is scaffolding behind Jen so that she can yeah. sit and do a knitting in front of some uh, scaffolding. It's interesting now because now I've got the dilemma that I have every month after Outside the Box, Hannah, which is I can watch this and now I really want to and I already wanted to. But it does mean that come this time next month, I'll be like, yeah, I've not seen anything new. I have just saw what you, what yeah. you talked about last month. I've just finished yeah. Ghosts is what I'm saying. So, <laughs> Yeah, that was a while ago. I loved it. I had strange feelings about Fanny Button's relationship that comes up in one episode. But I would say that Ghost does that gorgeous, gentle humour. It does, like, proper slapstick funny where you're clutching your sides. And also, it's made me cry every single series because it's got a real emotional heft to it as well. Oh, the captain. Captain, my captain. Every series. Yeah, he's so nearly told them. He so nearly told them. And they all know. know. Yeah, it always kind of packs a heft. It doesn't have as much Robin as I would like. I mean, I don't think think it could have as much Robin as I would like. (laughs) I think it has probably something to do with the fact that Robin takes such a long time in makeup that it was probably (laughs) easier for him to play a bit more Humphrey because of COVID restrictions. Yeah. Okay. Does anybody else have anything else to say? The second series of Back to Life, which is excellent to have back. Uh, I loved the first series. Uh, which I watched during lockdown last year. And I think this one is equally good. It's very warm. It's very funny. It's also kind of shocking in part. And like, it's just, it's, I think that she, she does a bloody good job of it. When when I do get to talk to Daisy, I will be asking mm. her how she felt she had the right to ruin Aid Edmondson for me forever. Mm. He's played wankers in a few things now that I've seen. So I'm a bit like, all right. I'm I'm kind of I I was okay with it, 
I've, I've seen him do wanker before now. Yeah, and also any tips on how I can stop my husband now constantly pronouncing it noodles, uh, gratefully received. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is really charming. I think the fourth episode of it is just incredibly strong. It's like the one in the lighthouse. It's, it's the one in the yeah, lighthouse. that is excellent. But in the middle of it, it has like really funny jokes, like when she finds out what actually happens at the end of Thelma and Louise. <laughs> and, and so also, sad. <laughs> I think her parents in it are absolutely oh, tremendous. They're so, they're so oh well sketched and they're so them. well acted. Yeah. And her ex-boyfriend, Dom, turning up on the doorstep asking just to, he just wanted to have a poo somewhere warm <laughs> was, was incredibly funny. I don't know who I love more out of her mum and her dad because I think... Her dad. Um, yeah, I do I do edge towards that, but I just love them both so much. It's they're yeah, they're great. The fact that you can get a character like Dom, who is an absolute rat and still make yeah. him quite endearing is is really quite something, Haggard. Well done. I don't know what that guy's called, but I don't know if you recognised him because he is also the guy that Catherine Parkinson thinks she's on a date with. Oh, one of my favourite IT crowd actors. Gay the musical. Yeah. Yeah, which is just amazing, um, the, the the work outing. I once um, watched that episode yeah. four times in a row. <laughs> it's so funny. It is so, so funny. I want to just stop and go and watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just when she looks up and Moss is behind the bar and he goes, white wine. Yeah, I'm leg disabled. <laughs> right, okay. Any more for any more? No, I've been watching people actually in the face. Patty Smith last night, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis tomorrow. Lovely time. Wow. Just a rock and roll, guys. Come on. Outside the box. 